Hello and welcome to the Inside Ellen Road podcast from the Yorkshire Evening Post. This is episode 94. I'm Graham Smith, Chief Football Writer, and I'm joined by Leeds United journalist Joe Arkett to talk about all things whites just before the final game of this block of Premier League games before another international break. First up, Joe, how are you doing? How are you, Joe? I'm good. How are you? I was going to say it's been a long time since we were recorded, hasn't it? It's been. I've been on holiday. You've been on holiday. It's been a while. It has been a while. I had a great. I had a great week off. You know, it was just the tonic. I mean, it was a long time between between the Villa game and the Leicester game. Was a long, a long old time. And having a week off, I think, was exactly the the right thing for anyone to do. In fact, I was off. Popey was off. Phil Hay was off as well. Yeah, I don't know who signed that off, leaving me in, in charge of the Leeds United ship. <laughs> but I was in the weird situation where I've not done it for a long time, but I watched, sort of sat down and watched two games while I was on holiday without working, which was an odd experience. Sort of took me back to, to days before the YEP. What changed in your experience of it? Was it just that you were, you were watching without thinking about notes or... There was an element of that, but there was also, I found myself getting more nervous and I don't know why that is, but I was sat watching it and I was getting more nervous at the result and the game and what was going on. Whereas I think when you're in match day mode, you're sort of trying to take everything in, trying to make sure you're doing everything right on the blog on you know, the post-match reaction where I'm not sure you process a lot of the result and what's going on until you, until maybe later or maybe when you watch it back and yeah, it was a very odd experience. My other half was not impressed when we were in holiday in Scotland when I was shouting at the TV after they conceded uh, a third against Fulham. Yeah, that was not a good experience. Yeah, it's a shame we weren't able to podcast after the Villa game because it would have just been 45 minutes of us purring like a pair of cats. But that that was... We would have probably just been chanting Patrick Bamford for 45 minutes, wouldn't we? It was... Uh... It was enjoyable. I mean, made it all the more enjoyable by the fact that I WhatsApp Lee Sobat just before the game to say 3-0 Patrick Bamford hat-trick. Um, I've been meaning to talk to you about your Photoshop skills. Um, <laughs> you can't say that. Not after my Blackburn Rovers prediction last season. Remind me what that was? Three. I said 3-1, the first goal from a set piece and that Barry Douglas would play and someone else as well got the selection, the mode of first goal and the scoreline correct. At some stage, I need to start putting some money where my mouth is, although I would have lost money on the Leicester result, it has to be said. That Villa game was great, and I've said it before on the podcast, whilst the football can be very enjoyable, particularly in the Premier League, and some of the, the players we're getting to see come up against Leeds as well is, is a treat. But I couldn't escape at Villa Park the thought that the atmosphere would have been superb. And you can talk about, well, they might not have won 3-0 had there been fans in and it could have changed the game. That's true. But I like to, to imagine the game happening as it happened, but in front of a crowd and what that would have been like. And the away end would have been, for Villa fans, it would have been intolerable, it just in, insufferable. But for anyone of a Leeds United persuasion, it would have been one of those nights to remember forever. For Patrick Bamford, it would have been a night to remember forever. And it's just so sad that instead of getting closer to a situation where fans return, it feels like we're actually getting further away. It would have been absolute bedlam. I think we saw a couple of seasons ago when Leeds came back from two goals down at half-time to win 3-2 and KMR Roof scored in the 93rd or 4th minute or whenever it was and the away end just erupted. It would have been 
sort of similar but probably more prolonged and there would have been a lot of Mickey taking. There probably would have been a fire drill in the in the Villa end um, when Bamford danced around and stuck one in the top corner, which was, was caught sort of quite sweet for him, wasn't it, after his uh, coming together with Tyra and Mings. But yeah, it's it's just emphasised and Calvin Phillips talked about it, didn't he, on, a, on I think it was the Leeds That podcast that he went on and, and he was sort of sat at home thinking just how good it would have been to see the away end bouncing and that's the real thing that people love about football and those emotions that are, are drummed up when you're at games. Um, you know, people remember the reaction and emotions that football matches in certain moments draw up and, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things, you know, in 20, 30 years' time, everyone will remember where they were when Pablo Hernandez scored that goal at Swansea, for example, but it wouldn't have been half as good being the stand, would it? So, you know, it's just a real shame at the moment that this is the way of the world. But I guess on one hand, we are lucky to still have Leeds United playing football and, and football on our TV screens. Yeah, that is the that's the only real upside that I can see from this second lockdown period that we're about to go into that the first time around there was no football and, and I know that if it came down to a choice between family and health and jobs for a lot of people or watching football football would, would come a distant fourth but at least it's something you know it's it's something that can provide some kind of entertainment some kind of distraction at least for part of the lockdown because then we're into another international break we'll come on to talk about that in a little bit but even as someone excited by the prospect of Northern Ireland potentially qualifying for the Euros, the international break still feels like an unwelcome interruption for me. But we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll come on to that. Let's talk about Leicester City on Monday night at Elland Road. It came as no surprise the way Leicester played. Everyone, I think, knew that they would try and spring on the break, that they would use Vardy's pace. Everyone knew that Vardy would be problem but I'm not sure many would have predicted just how comfortable the scoreline would have been for Leicester and they almost put in what you would call you know the the archetypal anti-Leeds United performance sitting deep forming a blue wall and then capitalizing on errors and breaking onto loose balls and taking their own chances when they came I was really really impressed with Leicester and some of the football they played but whilst it might not have been possession-based football, it was so effective. And some of the some of the attacking football, the counter-attacking football, was really, really impressive. But Leeds United almost were architects of their own downfall at times. What, what did you make of the game overall? I thought Leeds in the first half were well below par. And I think it's probably a little bit of a lesson that, that a difference from a championship to the Premier League is that if you make mistakes against a higher quality of opposition, then more often than not, you'll get punished. It's a bit of a cliche, but I do think there's times in a championship where Leeds gave up chances and, and maybe got off lightly with, with a few of those, whereas you pass the ball to Jamie Vardy after three minutes and he's more likely going to either score or find someone who's going to score if, you, if you're caught short at the back. And Patrick Bamford's header, you know, those are the fine margins. Get That goes either side of the goalkeeper and then 30 seconds later, it's in the back of the net. So, I thought Leeds were very poor in the first half, probably the worst half of football they put together this season. And I just it's the fine margins of this level where you make mistakes. And I don't think they handled the sort of ability and, and I suppose the dynamic play of, of Vardy and, and Barnes very well at all in the first sort of twenty five minutes. And and I think Stuart Dallas said it after that. Once you start playing after half an hour, you're two 0 down already. You're fighting an uphill struggle or straight up, aren't you? So I thought it was very disappointing. There was obviously 
in the second half, having said all that, you know, they, they got the goal back and Hernandez hits the bar. And if Hernandez goes in, you wouldn't even have laughed if they were winning the game. Those are the fine margins of football. But it was just frustrating because after the Villa game, everyone was on a high. Obviously, there was a big break. So there was a long time to sort of reflect on how well that performance was. There was people saying that that was the best under Bielsa sort of ever, you know. So to come out and then sort of have a sluggish start, make a mistake, was was really disappointing. And then they sort of didn't really get going, did they, into the second half. And, and by that point, they're sort of clawing back the advantage. And it was just, I think, overall very disappointing. But having said that, you know, there's lessons to learn, like Dallas said, post-match. And I think there was um, there's plenty in that for Leeds to, to think over. And I think Bielsa has a decision to make as well in his midfield now. Because obviously with the absence of Calvin Phillips, he tried click sort of back there didn't quite work against Leicester did work against Villa so does he sort of throw straight back in it's 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 one for him to decide and he's got to sort of do that quickly this week there was that sliding doors moment in the first couple of minutes where Pablo produces a lovely little bit of magic Costa who I thought probably man of the match for Leeds delivers a really nice cross to the back post finds Harrison he heads it back across it was a really nice really well worked move and if Bamford puts his header either side of the keeper, really, it, it's 1-0 Leeds. And it's such a shame that it goes into the keeper's hands. Because if Leeds score first, I don't think Leicester continue with their, their game plan. And it's not to say that Leeds would have definitely won had they scored first, but I, I just think the confidence it would have given Leeds, the uncertainty it would have given Leicester, would have produced a very different game uh, and not quite as frustrating a game. And then to kind of compound it all, Leicester, uh, Schmeichel rolls the ball out. It gets sent down the left channel with a, a direct ball. Robin Cock looks to have things pretty well wrapped up and he just misplaces his pass. His passing has been excellent this season so far. He has been a really solid acquisition, but it wasn't his best performance at all on Monday night. And that pass, you just when Vardy is sniffing around, you just cannot do that because he is still very, very quick and... He's so instinctive and smells any hint of weakness or mistake and has the quality to to pounce. You know, goes past Melier and, and it's just a, a tap-in after that for Barnes. And then Leeds are really up against it because then, then you can see, well, now Leicester can play exactly as they want. They're comfortable now. They're just form, form a blue wall, stop Leeds from playing through them or around them, restrict them to long shots and then hit on the break. And, and Vardy in that first 10-15 minutes I've, I've followed Jimmy Vardy's career for a long time because I was at the Stocksbridge local newspaper when he came through the youth ranks and got into the first team and um, I mean it's absolutely fascinating to me that, that the lad who Crew Alexandra took on loan and decided they didn't want, and I remember, I remember the chairman the Steels chairman, he used to come in for like a, a weekly visit into the office and, and try and dictate what that week's headline should be a brilliant, absolutely brilliant character called Alan Bethel ran Stocksbridge Park Steels superbly as a non-league club and the excitement when Crew took him on loan because Steels thought this is a, a money winner for us here that they're going to take Jamie because we all know you know he's too good for the Northern Premier League and he went on trial to Crew and Crew decided they didn't want him now, now Vardy at that stage did have the a laddish element about him he was very very young and you know there were some issues, shall we say? But you know you look at that decision of Cruz now in the light of day, you know, thirteen years later, and you think 
wow, <laughs> you really, really missed out. Because then he, you know, he goes to Halifax, and I saw him play for Halifax against Workshop, and he was always electric. Every time he got the ball, he went at the fullback. He normally played wide of a, like a front three and uh, caused problems for everyone. Went to Fleetwood, caused problems for everyone, scored a bunch of goals, went to Leicester, wasn't sure he could make it, and then kind of kicked on again. And, and now, you look at the career he's had, the goals he scored, and he's still one of the best strikers in the Premier League. I mean, it's, it is an utterly remarkable story. It is. And, you know, when you were looking ahead of the game, you were thinking someone like Vardy and people like Barnes, who Leeds United obviously looked at very closely a couple of seasons ago, were they or are they the best sort of set-up team in the Premier League to sort of combat Leeds United? And like you mentioned a bit before, once you go 1-0 down against that, it's very hard to see Leeds United clawing themselves back because it's almost a copy-and-paste job of, of what we've seen that has been Bielsa's sort of Achilles heel over the last couple of years, going behind and then teams sitting in and unable to sort of break them down. But you know, Vardy's ability, Barnes, they were so fast, quick, dynamic, even Tielemans, you know, there was there's a lot of in that that the quality that they have, sort of the when the way that they played and set up was sort of perfect to counter Leeds and and you won't have experienced it, but the I guess the sliding doors moment you were talking about was sort of perfectly summed up that Sky was still replaying Bamford's header and then it flipped back to the T V and Vardy was passing the ball to Barnes into an empty net and you were sat there going how the heck has this just happened? Because we, we didn't see the, the back pass. And then you watch the replay and you go, oh my Lord, how is it? You know, and it was, and that's the last thing you want to do against and pacey players because Liam Cooper, there was a couple of times where he was on the ball, obviously coming back from injury, maybe a little bit rusty, but when Vardy was stiffing around him and there was, a, there was definite panic and that's just the sort of mindset he didn't want them to be in after three minutes and obviously a goal down against sort of players that are lightning playing a high line, it just looked a mountain to climb. And yeah, it was just a, a disappointing afternoon or evening, I should say. And, you know, there was a fight back at some point, but they sort of were well beaten in the end, really. Yeah, the, the second half, Leeds come out and there's a change. Pavada's on. Uh, Jamie Shackleton, who who never really got going, just couldn't get into the game. He, you know, he, he made runs ahead of the ball and he tried to find space, but I think I counted three occasions when he either went too early and was offside or he went too early and the ball was passed just behind him or caught the back of his foot um, whether that was his fault and he was over eager or whether it was the fault of the passer because the passing in the first half wasn't great you know the amount of sideways passes across the middle that were picked off by Leicester was frightening Pablo wasn't really at it Click wasn't really at it but the second half they come out and had this unusual formation that had us kind of scratching our heads for a while trying to work out where Costa and Harrison were playing it was almost like a 4-1-5 at times, the way Leeds lined up. You had Harrison mostly wide left. Yeah, Harrison and Costa would be wide left. One of them would be wide left and the other would be tucked inside and slightly forward, almost like almost supporting Bamford on that side with Hernandez supporting Bamford on the right-hand side. And they just had a lot more of the ball. They get the goal. Uh, Stuart Dallas, a wonderful, intentional, uh, curling 30-yard shot. Uh, that Schmeichel could do nothing about contender for goal of the season. And then uh, at that stage, you think there's a chance. In fact, I'm sure it was said in the press box that with nodding heads that you could see Leeds winning it at that stage. You know, And then Pablo hits the bar. If that goes in, 
I just think Leeds probably would have they would have got something from the game, I'm quite sure. But just at the minute when, when you think Leeds are ticking, he takes off Pablo Hernandez. And I have to admit, I thought Pablo was just starting to play, just starting to get on the ball. Maybe, and I've thought about this since, maybe I was entirely swayed by the fact that he hit the bar. You know, that one little moment of brilliance where he, he took the ball down from a half-cleared corner and curled the ball onto the crossbar. Maybe that was too influential in, in my head as I was watching the game live on a first take. Because Bielsa afterwards saw it very differently. He, he, saw, he thought the opposite. He thought that Pablo was not starting to have an influence. And so he sent on Tyler Roberts, who he felt could add something different. Hernandez, how much did they show of Hernandez's reaction on Sky? Fair bit, yeah. They obviously showed him when he was sort of, you know, because he went off on the far side, didn't he? And at the, at the length he walked back. Um, you know, he was obviously <laughs> gesticulating to himself and was not impressed at all. But I don't think, I think you mentioned that he, he booted a water bottle. We didn't see that, but we saw him sort of charging towards the dugout and, and having a few words with people. And he obviously looked very miffed and annoyed. But I, I don't think it is unfair. I think he was... You know, he's been out, he's not started since early September, late August. I can't remember the last time he started, but it was, it's been a fair while. And he was sort of very rusty in the first half. And going back to sort of the little point you made earlier, I don't remember seeing sort of that many different players giving the ball away in such sort of silly fashion, you know, just crossfield balls that was feeding into Leicester. Because it wasn't even, it didn't even feel like it was sort of pressured mistakes either. It wasn't like Leicester were crowding them out. It was just simple crossfield balls, 10, 15 yards, and they were just giving away. And Hernandez was guilty of that, Kick was guilty of that. There was, there was several different players. But you did feel like Hernandez was growing into it. And I guess there's more an element of he hits the bar and that's a sort of little reminder of the quality that he brings to this side and the little moment of magic that he can produce. And I think at the moment it's, it's difficult for Tyler Roberts to come off the bench. You know, he's not on the greatest run of form. He's not had a lot of, a lot of football, you'd say that he's made an impact in. And I guess the, the frustration was that maybe Roberts didn't make a, an imprint on the game in the following minutes. Obviously, you can't predict that when, it, when he's subbed on, but in reflection, it did feel like Hernandez was starting to sort of find those little gaps, find those little the passes that split the defence. And, and I don't know, Bielsa was asked, and he said, obviously, he didn't, he didn't see it that way, but that's, that's how I was viewing the game. And when he hits the bye, you just think, ah, oh, you know, he's, he's finding a little bit of rhythm here because that touch down from the air, to take, he basically took out two Leicester players who charged out. And you just think that's the quality that Leeds have in him. And it was just frustrating to see him. And I can understand his frustrations because he's missed a lot of football and he's, you know, he's probably thinking this is his last chance saloon at the Premier League and he wants to leave his mark and he's not really done that yet this season. And with Rodrigo out, you know, they needed more from, from other players. And I guess, again, to go back to a little point you made earlier, can you imagine Ellen Road and, and how much it would have been bouncing when that ball hit that bar, you know, after Hernandez? The the eruption, the the pressure that would have been coming down from the stands on Leicester would have been sort of unbearable after after Dallas's goal. So again, yeah, the substitution was frustrating, the lack of fans is frustrating and just a frustrating result. <laughs> yeah. In his column for the YEP, Dominic Matteo said you don't you wouldn't traditionally associate that stroppiness with with Pablo. It's not the first time I've seen Pablo react to a, to being substituted like that. There was a time late last season when he was brought off and he was chuntering and very clearly unhappy in the stand. His full reaction on Monday night was to take off his black armband and hurl it 
uh, towards the stands on the far side. And then he stomped around and he was, you could see he was very unhappy. He booted a water bottle and he sat down and he was chuntering and gesticulating to, to people around him. Pablo does have a kind of explosive side to him. You, you often see it on the pitch when a referee doesn't give him a free kick when he feels he wants one. He has this signature move where his legs are wide apart and he smashes the ground with both hands or, and then he'll like punch the air and twirl and, and, and he does, he gets really animated because he's, he is a fierce competitor which is part of the reason, I guess, that he's had the career he's had and is still going at the age he is and still setting standards and training and all of that. But I didn't really like, at the point in the game where your team is going for it, but you're still 2-1 down, and bearing in mind that you're one of the leaders, I didn't really like his reaction. It, it was a little bit too much pulling focus at a time when what you want to do is, and I know he's not going off on the side where Roberts is coming on, so he can't you know, give Roberts a, a high five and pat him on the back and say, go and get them. But you don't want to make it about you. This is what I feel anyway. You don't really want to make it about you. And it was in stark contrast to when Dallas got taken off and he just turned around, saw his number was up and sprinted off, straight off, straight into the stand. Because it's all about the team and it's all about getting the result and getting back into the game. There's not really time to make it about you. But I say this in the cold light of day, not as a competitor, not as somebody who was in the heat of the moment, heat of the battle, and probably felt I've got a lot more to bring to the table than I have done in this game, and I feel like I can do it. And maybe there's an element of frustration for for Pablo in that, you know, Rodrigo's come in and has started to look very good in that number 10 role, and maybe there's just a bit of a change in Pablo's place in the pecking order. You know, last season he was the the player that ran the show in the run-in. You know, he came off the bench scored important goals, set up important goals. He was of huge importance to Leeds. Signed that new contract as well last season. Main man. Maybe not quite as much the main man in the Premier League so far. So maybe there's maybe there's an element of frustration there for him. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him start again on Saturday against Crystal Palace. Wouldn't be surprised at all to see him produce a, a bit of magic. And I certainly wouldn't be shocked if he had a far better performance uh, than he did on Monday night. Just an interesting talking point. One other, probably worthy of mention, we often make light and make hay when it comes to Luke Ayling's flop because it is very amusing. His knack of drawing uh, drawing contact and winning free kicks, most of which are genuine free kicks. He dived for a penalty in the second half, which was a decision that I couldn't really understand because he got, he got into a great position, made a fantastic dart in run, Paveda found him with a really lovely pass. And as Fuchs comes over, from our side, it looked a penalty because we're far away from the ball. We're on the opposite side. Then when you saw the replay on the screen, it, it was clear there wasn't any contact whatsoever. To his credit, Ailing apologised after the incident and after the game to Leicester, which is great, really great to hear. Just an odd one. I just wasn't quite sure why he why he went down there. Maybe he was so certain the contact was coming, but you know you have quality. You've done it so many times before that you've got to the byline and cut it back and a chance has been created. Just, I don't know why you wouldn't back yourself to do the same again. It was an odd one for me. And then Leeds fizzled out. Leicester scored another two goals, one of them a penalty, finished the game as fairly comfortable winners. Brendan Rodgers, interesting line from him in the, the press conference when he was, he was asked, and I wonder if it was the wording of the question he was asked by someone how proud he was to get the better of another master tactician, having done the same year against 
Arteta or whoever else was listed. And I wonder if he just, it rankled a little bit for Rodgers that these other managers were being described as master tacticians. And the implicit suggestion is you are not one of those. You know, you've got the better of these master tacticians, but you're outside of that group. When tactically he got it absolutely spot on against Leeds uh, and he didn't like that. So he, he trotted out the, well, I'm a British manager, so I'll, I'll probably say that I'm lucky. Always interesting when, when a manager reveals a little bit of what he feels about a situation or about the narrative around him and the club. For Bielsa, he took responsibility, said that he distributed the players incorrectly in the first half, corrected the mistake at halftime, but he said he didn't give the players the help they needed to defend or attack sufficiently. I think before we move on from the Leicester game, reasons for optimism, Joe, are that Leicester are a very good team, very well organised, know exactly what they're doing, have a lot of quality on the ball when they get it. Vardy does that to everyone, you know, almost without exception. Yes, Cooper and, and Robin Cock probably could have defended a lot better. There were a few slips and a few times they lost him, but he, he does that to defenders. He makes defenders look bad. And we haven't really mentioned it, but Leeds were missing Calvin Phillips in front of the defence and they were missing Rodrigo as well. So it's not a result to get carried away by. Leicester are a very good team. Leicester will be around the upper echelons of the Premier League come the end of the season. And Leeds are a newly promoted team who Rory Smith said are massively overachieving. And people, I think Beckford said he didn't like that because he felt it was an insult. But it's true, isn't it? You know, this largely a bunch of players who were mid-table in the Championship before Bielsa came in are now in the Premier League. And whilst there's no doubt in my mind that they have quality that they weren't able to show before, there is definitely a sense that they're overachieving. And that's not a slight. It's not an insult. Yeah, I think the general feeling after the Leicester game was there was a little bit of, obviously, ridicule from opposition fans and things like that. But I think you do have to sort of take a step back and analyse the bigger picture of where this group of players has come from under Bielsa and where they are now and the fact that they've taken sort of the what was it seven seven points I've completely forgotten um, ten opening ten points that's it sorry I was missing a victory um, ten points from however many games it is so far this season you know the, before the Leicester game there was defeats to Wolves and Liverpool and there was wins over you know the late win over Sheffield United the Fulham game obviously played very well their defensive laps and I think we we are forgetting a little bit about the the league they're coming into is one of the best in the world has got some of the biggest amounts of money sort of thrown around in the transfer window and sort of Bielsa's only really added sort of the quality in in small doses really they've spent about nearly 100 million this year but they've they've brought in quality over quantity it's not like they've had an overhaul of players in the squad and the levels that some of the players in the squad are playing at are far and away above that any of them, I think even themselves would admit that they thought they could reach before Bielsa came in. So there does have to be an element of sometimes there's going to be off days, sometimes there's going to be days where not everyone's at it, they don't play that well as a unit and, and results might go against them. And, and Leicester was one of those, but you do have to sort of take a step back and look at the bigger picture that overall Leeds United are in a, in a great place sort of at the moment overall and it's and it, you can't say that it's not it's been anything other than a great start to the season you know I think anyone if they'd have said where they are now with 10 points um sort of nearly at the November international break would have been would have been like you know that is, that is a fantastic start to the season and I don't think one result sort of goes against that in the heat of the moment the reaction afterwards is always sort of partisan and, and 
when you look at it in the cold light of day, I don't think any there's any worries sort of to be had and, and Leeds go into Crystal Palace and we know exactly how they'll play. We know we know how Bielsa will set up. We know that they'll be ready to to go and, and attack Palace. Um so we'll just have to wait and see whether they're sort of on it on Saturday or not. Trying to wave my uh, daughter away from ruining the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Why not school? Uh, well, she's she's at nursery, but well, she would have been at nursery, but they had a COVID case, and so it can't open this week. I should uh, have known. Collapsed the bubble. Um, so, well, we just mentioned COVID and and the way of the world at the minute. It has finally had an impact when it comes to the Leeds United first team and team selection. It was always going to happen at some stage because players have families. Uh, they have kids that go to nurseries and schools. They have partners who have to go shopping. They might have to go out shopping themselves. They go to petrol stations. They are, they cannot be hidden away from the world entirely. So players are going to catch coronavirus or they're going to test positive for coronavirus. And Rodrigo, uh, Leeds United's policy on coronavirus throughout the pandemic has not been to comment. So... Last season, some people might remember, there was reports of at least one positive case in the lead squad. And that, that at the time was a fringe player, but it was just after lockdown. So there was, there was no impact when it came to, to games. But they did comment on Monday night at, with a seven o'clock statement to coincide with team news that Rodrigo had come into a close contact with somebody who subsequently tested positive and was therefore self-isolating. And it would have been 14 days because that's the government mandated guideline that the Premier League go by if you come into close contact with somebody it's 14 days if you test positive it's a 10-day period of isolation and then Rodrigo himself posted on Instagram yesterday to say that he has now tested positive for COVID-19 and is self-isolating we knew that he wouldn't be around for Palace but the, the international break I suppose almost has an upside in that he'll only miss Palace because he'll be back again for Arsenal following the international break I suppose that the other good news is that he and his family are feeling well and feeling healthy, but it was it was always going to happen at some stage. Yeah, absolutely, and it's um, sort of balance of probability, isn't it? And it's just a shame that it's happened before um, an international break, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like you say, the, the the biggest thing is that he's feeling okay, his family feeling okay, and 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 that hopefully no one else at Leeds United um, gets it. So you know, obviously a big miss, but. I think, like we said before, it's great to have football, but there are bigger things going on in the world and this is just sort of football within that at the moment and adjusting to deal with it. It's a, it's a blow for Leeds to lose him for two games, um, especially after sort of the partnership that he started to strike up with, with Patrick Bamford and in the way that he sort of started to make that number 10 role his own. But yeah, it, the most important thing is that he's OK. Um, seems that way and, and hopefully he'll be back for Arsenal and uh, for, refreshed. Yeah, it's disappointing just not to have an exciting player on the pitch. And it was the same with Rafinha as well, because I just like the look of both players. You know, I like what they do on the ball and the the passing and the vision and the pace and the mobility. And, and when you have players and you've not seen an awful lot of them, you want to see what they can do. You want to see more of them. So it, it was disappointing not to see them both on Monday night. Rafinha will hopefully be back very soon because Bielsa doesn't believe it to be a serious ankle injury, believes it's a minor one. So we'll uh, we'll find out on Thursday when we speak to Bielsa what the latest is with him. Hopefully he'll be back against Palace because I feel like Leeds are going to have to be absolutely at it offensively at Palace because under Roy Hodgson, Palace are very, very defensively signed. 
they will probably play with a low block. They'll have two banks of four, and the two forwards will probably drop in to help out in certain defensive situations as well. And the key will be finding the right pass or you know, pace to beat the fullback and pulling back a dangerous cross and, and taking chances. But it, it might well be, there's a danger that it could be a similar story to Leicester because they have Zaha, you know, they do have threat, they have pace. So for me, Matthias Click needs to be further forward and he needs to be finding those passes, those little passes that help create chances. And I probably would, I probably would like to see Pascal Stroik brought back in because I think it's desperately unfair to judge him on what happened in the Villa game. He got, yes, he was naive, but he also got quite unlucky. I mean, he arguably also got lucky because he might have well been sent off, but he's already bounced back in his Leeds United career in the last year from a, a horrible outing, you know, against Cardiff. He bounced back and he finished the season so strongly. He's a young player. I'd like to see him back in the team. I have to say, I was really surprised that Bielsa didn't give him another shot. That was sort of, I, I was thinking that he was going to, you know, the way that we've seen him treat players in the past, the way that he sort of had that loyalty. I mean, he must have seen something in Leicester on the tapes that he thought this was a better way to go with Click back there. But I honestly thought that, that Stroik would get another chance. And I was really surprised when the team sheet came out and, and he wasn't on it um, because... Although he's, you know, a centre back by trade, he's really sort of developed into that role, and I think you do need a bit of an enforcer type with Calvin missing. So it was, it was a shock. Obviously, I'm saying that with hindsight, which is far easier. And there was an element in the second half where Leeds were getting it right against Leicester, but it, I was just surprised at the decision not to not to include him because, like like I said, there was there has been sort of cases in the past where Bielsa is maybe stuck with players where he thought, you know, maybe that maybe it was time to drop them or, or whatever or but who were we to second guess him? I just I was just surprised because I thought you know he was like you say it was a bit harsh to maybe not give him another go. Maybe we'll see them revert to that this weekend because twenty minutes against uh, a diving Jack Grealish, where who, who could survive that? I mean, no one. So we'll see. Well, yes, but he he was also filed. No, Joe. I know there was um there, he was very lucky not to get sent off. To be fair, and the, the decision to take him off was completely right at Villa. But I, I, you did feel a little bit like that he deserved another chance here because. There was a lot of made in that build-up that when you when you sort of take a step back, he's replacing, what, a £40 million player, you'd say, in Leeds United? Yeah. That is a big task. Maybe he got a bit, you know, pet up about wanting to sort of stamp his authority early on the game by putting himself about and maybe it just got a little bit away from him. There was a few times where he got exposed and, like I said, there was, there was an element of luck that he maybe didn't get a second year card, but you do feel like he's shown enough and he has shown enough at development level to sort of warrant another go. Maybe you'll get that this weekend. It'll be up to Beals. Yeah, and after that, we'll have an international break. Oh, joy. Uh, two weeks of filling the newspaper with no games to talk about. Great. Uh, we won't even be able to talk about Calvin with England because he's uh, injured. Spain will presumably be without Llorente and they'll definitely be without Rodrigo. But Stuart Dallas and Northern Ireland have a big game. Liam Cooper has a big game with Scotland. It would be nice if he played that big game and then maybe sat out the Nations League games because the absolute last thing Leeds United want is Liam Cooper coming back from international duty with another injury. They could just If they could just wrap him up in cotton wool once they've qualified, that would be, be ideal for everyone involved at Ellen Road. Yeah, and uh, North Macedonia's finest... Gianni Alioski, he also 
as a playoff final. It would be it would be really nice to see all three qualify because I guess the more Leeds United players there are at the Euros, the stronger my case is to go and cover it and get a uh, impromptu holiday in the bargain. So, well, if, if rumours are to believe, you'll be going to Russia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm up. I'm up for that. You know, it's a, it'll be a sacrifice, but somebody's got to. Palace then will be my next holiday on Saturday, Sellers Park. What is your prediction, young Joe Urquhart? I think. Well, I thought Stroy could play last time, but I think um, I hope that he, he gets another shot at it, and I hope that Leeds United um, find some magic in Pablo Hernandez. And I'm going to go with a, a two nil to Leeds United. Oh, that is oh, that is bold. That's bold. I'm going to say one one. I think they'll draw this game, and I absolutely think that would be a terrific result. You know, against a more more experienced Premier League outfit. And against a very organised side, any point away from home, I think this season is to be applauded. So, uh, yeah, I'd take a one-one draw. A defeat going into an international break, Joe, will kill the mood. Um, no matter how reasonable Leeds United fans have been in the wake of the Leicester game, I think it will just be really deflating to go into an international break on the back of a defeat because it just kind of misery then just kind of seeps in and lingers because everyone's angry anyway because there's no football and there's an international break so a positive result a draw or a win would be what the doctor what dr smith ordered yeah well Leeds are in this weird situation at the moment aren't they where like the start of the season didn't really warrant any pressure because they were coming up from the championship that sort of adjusting to a new division just seeing sort of putting the feelers out almost to see how they were going to do this year and then they sort of started so well that now losing to Leicester at home is um, a team that before the lockdown were nailed on for a top four finish, obviously fell away on the resumption of the season last year, is a bad result. So it's it, they've come a long way in a short space of time, it feels, and that sort of expectation and pressure is starting to sort of rear its head a little bit again, it feels. I don't know if that's a fair assessment, but that's how it sort of feels at the moment, watching on the, not the honeymoon period, because we're still in that, but it feels like as we go on sort of deeper into this season, expectation will will sort of start to rear its head again. And, you know, places like Palace, ideal to sort of go and, and get victories to, to ensure that that keeps on rising. Yeah, three points off uh, the top four and seven points clear of the drop zone. So they're not in a bad spot really, are they? I think it's still a pretty magnificent start to the season. And you look at other teams as well, West Brom, Burnley, Sheffield United occupy the the bottom three. Fulham and Brighton haven't had great starts. Man United on seven points after six games. There are there are teams that I think are really going to struggle this year. When when Dominic Matteo predicted in the YEP that Sheffield United would be a team to really struggle this year, um, he did so at a time when I thought it's a bit early to say that. And and I I've been really impressed with Chris Wilder and what he's done. And whilst I don't think that they, the club particularly backed him in the summer with you know, the kind of progressive signings that they maybe needed to move on, I just felt well, it's a bit, it is quite early to be saying that, but that they are you know, struggling in this early part of the season. They have a point from seven games and already have a bit of ground to make up, which is not ideal uh, at any stage of the season in the Premier League. Burnley have got off to, to a terrible start. West Brom haven't really 
impressed or hit the ground running or or even really suggested that they they will make an impact and yes yes Marcelo I hear you it's too early to to say there are any tendencies but I think the context of how other teams have started should give Leeds United fans a bit of hope and a bit of cheer that actually Leeds to have 10 points at this stage uh, should be patting themselves on the back I think as well there's an element of they've won all the games that you'd say were winnable not it's maybe a bit silly to say because obviously like going to Liverpool on the open day is a difficult game. Playing Manchester City and getting a point is a great result um, after the way that they started that game. But all the games that you felt Leeds United can target these games and get points from, they've done so, so far. Leicester was maybe the first one where people were, because of the Villa result and momentum, were thinking, you know, this is something that we could sort of make a statement. But you, it's easy to sort of lose sight of of how good Leicester have been in the last four or five years at Premier League level. That's a long-term project. It's not just a, an overnight success. So they are have been very good for a sort of sustained period. So those results, you know, the, you look at who they've beaten already away from home. They've beaten Arsenal and Man City. It's not a bad defeat, that. So the Palace game is the first one where we're going into thinking, you know, that's it's a winnable game, but a point would be a good result. And <laughs> It's all that cliched stuff. But it'll be interesting to see how, how they go um, this weekend and, like I say, just the feeling going into the international break um, would, would be nice to have sort of a positive result, whether that's in the shape of a good performance and a, and a draw or, or a magnificent away win at Selhurst Park. Yeah, so this has been episode 94 of the Inside Elland Road podcast. We're heading into a second period of lockdown, so hopefully Leeds United can give you some uh, solace or comfort or entertainment this weekend. And a win would, I think it would cheer everyone up a little bit. And we might well need it with the state of the world at the minute. Thanks very much for joining us.